Well, good morning. How y'all doing today? My name is uh, Pastor Jeff. I'm the equipping pastor here, and I'm really impressed that you guys remembered to show up this morning. <laughs> I thought I might be the only one here, but you remembered to turn your clocks ahead, so that's a good thing. Um, well, hey, I've really been looking forward to our time together, and I'm looking forward to interacting around God's Word with you. But I'm going to tell you right up front what I hope to accomplish. Okay? Is that fair enough? I hope by the time you leave this morning, you're going to be encouraged. And you're going to have a renewed hope that you can run the race of faith and win. The Christian life is not for special people. It's for everybody. God hasn't called us to do something that He doesn't equip us to do. You and I can run the race of faith and be declared a champion in His presence. And I want to talk about that this morning. I remember when I was at Dallas Theological Seminary many years ago, for one of my classes I had to listen to a message by the founder of the school, Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer. And I'll never forget the introduction to his message. He said, men, all across the country, you're going to hear a mess of sermons today. And they're all going to basically say the same thing. Do good. Do good. Do good. But very few of them are going to show you how to do good. And he went on to say, I'm just bold enough this morning that I'm going to show you how. And I'm just going to take my cue from Dr. Chafer and I'm going to say that I'm going to try to show you how to run the race of faith in a way that you can win. As I was thinking about our message this morning, I remembered some research from George Barna, the Christian pollster. And in his research, he found that three out of five Christians long to have a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ but are doing absolutely nothing intentional to make that happen. Now, why is that? I often think of Christianity kind of like a swimming pool. We're fairly good at helping people jump into the pool and experience salvation, but if you were to back up and look at that pool from the distance, you might be surprised at how many people are on the shallow end because they don't know how to swim. So how can we learn to run? Don't you want to be a champion in life? Is there anybody here that's interested in being a champion in life? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Man, I, if I'm going to be a champion in anything, don't you want to be a champion in life? You only get one life. Let's run in such a way that we can win. Now, obviously our study this morning is not exhaustive on uh, the race of faith because we're only going to be looking at three verses. All right, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, if you want to turn to that passage. But you know, let me ask you another question. How many of you here have been influenced by a coach sometime in life? Anybody? Okay, we have no athletes in this room. <laughs> okay, I've been influenced by a coach. In fact, I have coached others. And the thing I love about a good coach is they don't just tell you what to do, they tell you how to do it, right? They don't just say, hey, kick the ball further. They show you how to kick the ball further. And what I think you notice, I hope you'll notice, as we go through Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but it, he's functioning 
as a coach. He's encouraging the readers to press on, but then he's going to show them how to press on. And how to press on in such a way that they can win the race of faith. So what I'm going to do, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you four points this morning, and I hope you remember them, because I made them all kind of go along together. I'll start with an L. How about that? I'm going to try and make this easy for you. The first thing we have to do is we have to run listening. We have to run listening. So if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 12, let me just say this. I'm going to read just the bold part. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now what is the author talking about? Any good Bible student will say when you see the therefore, you have to see what the therefore is there for. Right? And so what are we doing? We're going back to chapter 11. If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's often referred to as the hall of faith. Great examples of heroes, heroic activity of obedience and faithfulness in spite of circumstances. In the beginning of chapter 11, the author mentions people by name. Moses, Abraham, Sarah. Examples of great people of faith. By the end of the chapter, there are so many people that have come to his mind that he stops trying to mention them by name. They become innumerable. And now, that's kind of our introduction to chapter 12. He says, they're like a cloud of witnesses. There's so many of them. Now let me try and explain what that means. The word cloud here is not referring to a pretty picture of a cloud that you can kind of have in your mind in a blue sky. The word cloud here is more like when we have our snow, where the cloud encompasses the whole sky and you can't see the beginning or the end. The author of Hebrews is saying there are so many people that have lived the life of faith, the very life that you and I are trying to live, that they're innumerable. And it's almost as though they're completely encompassing and surrounding us. Now the Greek games were very common in that day, and it's very possible that he also has in mind uh, a track race, because we're talking about a race here. So I want you to imagine in, my, in your mind, just for a minute, that you and I are walking into the Olympic arena, and we're going to run the 400-meter race, okay? And you and I look up, and we're completely surrounded by a packed stadium. There's so many people, you can't even count them. And the thing that's so interesting about this is the only people in the stands are gold medal winners of the very race that you and I are trying to run. There are so many people that have run the race of faith and been declared a champion that we should be encouraged as we look up into the stands as we seek to run this race. Now, the Bible isn't teaching us that there, uh, you know, former Christians are, or, or believers are sitting there watching how we live life. This word here for witness is really testimony. Their testimony has engulfed us. Their testimony of heroic deeds of faithfulness and obedience are contained in Scripture. And you and I have to be exposed to Scripture so that we can be encouraged by their example and by their model. I remember when I was in business many years ago, I was uh, in sales and I was traveling through Ohio. And I was driving up to a town and I saw the sign that said, Canton, Ohio. And I'm thinking, gosh, that name sounds familiar. Canton, Ohio. What is in Canton, Ohio? Guys, anybody know? The Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay, to show you the great salesman that I was, I rearranged my schedule so that I could stop <laughs> and go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 
And I'll never forget that. I love football, so I walk into this, the Hall of Fame, and uh, I was engulfed by the testimony of those who were in the Hall of Fame. There wasn't a, a single athlete there in person, but the testimony of their heroic deeds in football that caused them to be elected into the Hall of Fame were all around me. Whether it was their memorabilia, videos, articles, whatever it was, I was engulfed and inspired by what they had accomplished. And so what our author is telling is if you and I want to run this race of faith, we have to be inspired and engulfed by the Word of God in the example of those who've already run this race faithfully and won. It reminds me too, not just examples of, of faith in Scripture, but we need to be exposed to Scripture in general, don't we? Notice what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Don't you want to be adequate and equipped to run the race of faith? Then you and I have to be exposed to the Word of God. And so in our first point, running, listening, whatever you're facing, others have gone before you, and they've won the race of faith. All of us are on a little bit different path but others have run and they've won the very race that you are trying to win. And so the first thing I want to encourage you this morning is that you have to run listening to God's Word in the example of those who've already lived that race faithfully. The second point that I want to bring to your attention is we have to run light. Okay, What was the first one? Run listening. The second one, run light. Notice as we continue in verse 1, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Our great coach is telling us that we have to lay aside a couple things if we want to run well. If you want to excel in the race of faith, you have to lay aside encumbrances and sin. Now, an encumbrance is an unnecessary weight. It's something you've chosen to carry. You don't have to carry it, but you've chosen to carry it. But because it's a weight... It hinders your ability to excel to your maximum potential. I remember uh, my one of my favorite movies of all time is A Chariot of Fire. You may not have seen it because it was produced in 1981, so that was a while ago. But it's the story of Eric Little, a Christian athlete. <clears throat> and we'll talk more about that later. But early in the movie, there's a scene where there are two athletes getting off the train as there are arriving at Cambridge. They're there to go to school and then train for the Olympics. One's name is Aubrey Montague and the other is Harold Abrahams. Okay? Harold travels light. He's got one suitcase in each hand. He's getting off the train and he's heading to school. Aubrey has got more luggage than he can carry. Plus his golf clubs, his tennis rackets, and some other stuff. And when Harold sees that he's having trouble even getting off the train, let alone walking towards school, he offers to help him. And he said uh, to Aubrey, are you an athlete? And he goes, well, yes, I am. Are you? And Harold says, I run. If you've seen the movie, Harold is very short and to the point. <laughs> okay, that's all I do. I run. I got my two suitcases. I run. 
And Harold says to Aubrey, well, do you run? I mean, are you an athlete? And he goes, yes, I, I do. I run too. And this is what's so profound about what Harold then says to him. He said, I'm surprised you have the time. Aubrey was there to compete for the Olympic Games. He didn't have time to be playing golf or tennis. He needed to be focusing on his event. Now, I'm not trying to say that we can't golf and we can't play tennis. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if this has become an encumbrance to you, if there's something in your life that has become an encumbrance and a weight that it's hindering you from excelling in the Christian life, then you have to lay it down if you want to run to win. This week I was watching a special with Donna, an HBO special entitled The Art of Coaching. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's uh, had Bill Belichick and Nick Saban interacting on coaching. Bill Belichick, the coach of the, the great New England Patriots, Nick Saban, the coach of the great all, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide football team. Two of the greatest coaches probably in history. Now, it's really hard for me to compliment Nick Saban because I'm an LSU fan. <laughs> okay, but, but uh, that aside, okay, he's an amazing coach. And this is what he said, because, you know, his players always want to win the national championship, right? And this is what he said to him: It's not just about what you want that's important, but what you're willing to do to get it. You may have to give something up. You know, the author doesn't specifically say what the encumbrances are, because I think you and I have to evaluate that in our own heart before the Lord. Lord, is there something holding me back from excelling in my race for you? If there is, lay it down if you want to be a gold medal champion in life. The second thing he mentions, you have to lay down sin. That's a pretty obvious one. Because he says sin in this passage entangles you. Okay, so sin really doesn't just make running harder, it almost makes it impossible. I remember, uh, I'm old enough now where I don't mind looking back on my life and remembering some of the things I've done and laughing at them. Is anybody else there? Donna will tell you I entertain myself quite a bit that way. <laughs> I was thinking about this passage and I thought back to a time when I was in high school. And I was playing on uh, the baseball team and I'd gotten a hit. I was on first base, and I was going to steal second. And so our coach was very particular in how he trained us to, to lead off first base. I don't know how they do it nowadays, but he taught us to shuffle off. You know, don't cross your feet, just shuffle off. Well, uh, I was just going to take second base. I was going to steal second. So I, right as the, the pitcher was coming set and was starting to throw home, I was going to take one more step. But... I had a little problem. If I've done something, if I can say I've done something that I've never seen anybody else do, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> so as I was taking that last shuttle step, my cleats, and we used to use metal cleats back then, somehow got caught in my shoelaces of my right foot. And so I went to take off, and instead of looking like a cat springing towards second base, I look like a tree that got chopped down by a lumberjack, you know? And I'm going down, and there is nothing I can do about it. And I'm in sheer panic, thinking my coach is going to kill me. How did I manage to do this? So I remember hitting the ground, 
the same time I heard the ball pop in the catcher's mitt. And so I've never been accused of being fast, okay? Uh, but somehow, by a miracle, I was able to spring up, dive back to first base before I got tagged out and, and avoided the wrath of my coach. But that's an example of being tripped up. Sin trips you up. And it makes following Jesus very, very difficult, if not impossible. Again, he doesn't specifically mention the sin here. And I think that's because you and I have to get before the Lord and trying to discern, what is it, Lord? Is there any sin in my life that I need to address, that I'm playing with, that I'm uh, toying with, that I'm not taking seriously? If there is, confess it to the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9, right? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and get back in the game. Get back in the race. Lay aside your encumbrance. Lay aside sin and get back in the race so that you can run full speed. Now I will say, if there's some sin or an encumbrance that is hindering you to the point that you just can't seem to get past it, let's say you're entangled in sin and you're just, no matter how many times you talk to the Lord about it, it's still there. Well, then you need to get help. You need to talk to a friend. You need to talk to your community group leader. You need to talk to a pastor. We want to help free you up to get you back in the race. We don't want you sitting on the sideline. You with me? <clears throat> but you know, he does say in this passage, if you notice, it says the sin, which so easily entangles us. There is the definite article the in front of the word sin, which could mean he did have something in mind. Okay? And if that be the case, it most have proposed that it's probably referring to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which is just the previous chapter, where he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if you're experiencing doubt, if you're choosing to not believe God and his promises, you're not going to be able to run in the race of faith. I'm not trying to say that doubt is something you need to avoid. Doubt is something you have to work through. Again, if doubt is holding you back, from excelling in the race of faith, ask somebody for help. A friend, your spouse, a pastor, whoever it might be. So the first two things, if we want to run in a way for us to win in the race of faith, is we have to run, what was the first one? Listening. And the second one is light. We have to lay aside encumbrances of sin. The third thing we need to do is we need to run long. We need to run long. Notice what it says in, as we continue in verse 1. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know about you, but when I re read that word race, it doesn't do anything for me. It seems like a neutral term because I'm not a competitive athlete. Okay, But an, any competitive athlete knows that a race is not easy. In fact, in the meaning of this word that we translate race is struggle. Notice if we put that in there. And let us run with endurance the struggle that is before us. In fact, we get our English word agony from a form of this Greek word that we translate race. The Christian life has never been promised to be easy. There are going to be times that are very hard, whether it's trials or challenges or just difficulties in life. It's going to be hard. Persecution. Jesus promised us that that was going to be the case. But what do we need to do? We need to run with endurance. I remember 
When I was a young Christian, growing my faith in college, there was somebody, his name was Paul, and he was really helping me uh, address some things and trying to grow in the Christian life. He said, Jeff, you know, you know what I've learned about the Christian life that's so hard? I said, no, what is it? He said, it's just so daily. Okay? And what he meant by that, the Christian life is so daily, that means I can't live on yesterday's victory. I have to choose today to be faithful and obedient. Okay? And the way Jesus talked about that was in Luke 9.23. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what does that mean for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ? I have to stop making myself the center of the universe. If my will is in conflict with his will, his will wins. I yield and I follow. And having to say no to myself all the time because I, I'm inherently selfish is work, isn't that? It's not easy to say no to yourself all the time. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. If my will is in conflict with his will, I have to live as a dead man, so to speak. So, the way that we can run with, uh, when, when life is a struggle is with endurance. Now, this word is really interesting. It's referring to an inner strength that does not surrender to circumstances. It's an inner strength that does not surrender to circumstances. Having a hard race, having a hard road is not an excuse for giving up or quitting because we have to run with endurance. Why can we run with endurance? Because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. He's our energizer. He's the one who helps us run this race. But it's also another thing that I think is so important is that we have hope when we run this race. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. The enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an enduring hope. See, endurance is tied to hope. Why can I endure? Why can I have inner strength that doesn't surrender to circumstances? Because I have hope. It's not because I'm a great runner. It's because I have hope in who Jesus is and what He's done for me. He's died for your sin. He's given you life. He's promised you a great destiny and inheritance that He Himself is reserving in heaven for you. Those things should give me hope so that when the going gets tough, I can continue to advance and run when life is hard. Notice how it says this, uh, Peter says it in 1 Peter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You and I have the Holy Spirit residing in us. He's our energizer. He's the one that helps us to run the race. But we have hope. We have a living hope because of who Jesus is and what He's accomplished for us. Those things should be encouraging us as we run so that we can run with endurance. There's another passage I really like that I think is referring to this uh, concept here. 
It's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. You probably remember that very last phrase when, it said, when Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. An alternate, an alternate translation for that statement is, I'm with you every minute of the day until the job is done. Isn't that encouraging? So not only is the Holy Spirit in us, not only do we have a living hope, but Jesus is running stride for stride with us. We're not running alone. He is running with us as we run the race of faith. So, so far, what we've seen this morning is we need to run listening, right? We need to run listening to God's Word, the examples in Scripture of great men and women of faith who've chosen to obey and be faithful in spite of their circumstances. We need to run, um, what was the second one? What? Light. Yes, thank you. Jeez. Okay, light. We have to lay aside encumbrances and sin. Anything that would hinder me from giving my best effort. Right? I want to leave it all on the field here while I'm alive. And the third is we have to run long. Very good, man. You guys are good students. All right. We run long because we can run with endurance. Because we have a living hope. The Spirit resides in us and Jesus is actually running with us as we run. The fourth point is we have to run looking. Let us run looking. Notice now we finally made it to verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Could you imagine, let's imagine all of us are right now at the starting line of a race. Okay, can you picture that in your mind? And the starting gun goes off. Are we supposed to all just run wherever we want to? That's chaos, is it not? What we're supposed to do is run to a destination. We're supposed to run to the finish line. And guess what? What does it say the finish line is? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is both the goal and the model that we are to follow as we run this race of faith. In fact, in Galatians 4.19, Paul said he was at labor in the readers that he was writing in Galatians, until Christ was formed in them. Y'all, what we're supposed to be doing when we're following Jesus is we're supposed to be running towards Him to become like Him, and then He is our model of how to run this race. If you notice, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, all these great people that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, there's one glaring name missing. And you know who that name is? Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> okay? And why is he missing? It's because he's the he's set up in chapter 12 as the champion of champions. Chapter 11 is talking about great men and women of faith, but the champion of champions, the perfecter of our faith, is Jesus. He is the one who's the ultimate example of a life of faith and what that looks like. We have to be exposed to his teaching, his life so that we can run to Him and become like Him. Now you might be asking, why is focusing on Jesus important? Well, notice what it says in verse 3. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself. We're going to stop there right now. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself. 
is we're running to Jesus, something we're supposed to be keeping in mind is what Jesus did for us. What he endured for us. Notice it says he endured. He endured. He's an example of endurance. When going, things got tough, he didn't give up. Now the word consider there literally means think carefully about. Think carefully about what Jesus suffered, endured for you. And we'll talk about why in a second. And I, I know we're coming up on Easter. That means we're coming up on Good Friday. And oftentimes, you know, we just think of the cross when we think of what Jesus endured. But you know what? There are a lot of Christians who died horrific deaths. The cross doesn't make Jesus special by itself. It's not just his physical suffering that we're talking about. Notice what it says in Mark 14.34. It's not going to be up on the screen. You can look at this later. I'll read it to you. Jesus told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus is in the garden. He's drenched in sweat. Timothy Keller said he's in shock. We often don't think of how hard the Garden of Gethsemane was for him. But the language here, according to a scholar, former president of Dallas Seminary, this is what he said. Jesus told Peter, James, and John that his soul, his psuche, that's his inner self-conscious life, was overwhelmed with such sorrow that it threatened to extinguish his life at that moment. We often don't think that Jesus almost died until the, the cross. He almost died in the garden. Be, why is that? <laughs> because he had a full picture of what he was about to experience. And it was so overwhelming to him, it almost crushed him before he even made it to the cross. What was it that he was about to experience? He was about to drink of the cup of the full wrath of God against all sin. He didn't just suffer on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God for all sin. And just thinking of that makes me shake. Could you imagine what he suffered for you and me? And it says earlier in the passage, why did he endure? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? A relationship with you and me. Oh my gosh, does Jesus love me that much? That he endured the wrath of God? In fact, the English language can't even describe fully what he experienced. He suffered so that we could know him and have an eternal relationship with him. But you know, as we, you go back to verse 3 there, notice what it says, For consider him who endured such hostility about, against himself. What are the next two words? So that, okay, what that is doing is introducing the result. So that, if you'll focus and think about what Jesus has done, you're not going to quit early, okay? Because you're going to remember what he suffered for you to be able to forgive your sins and give you life. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. An alternate translation is you're not going to grow weary in your soul and give up. You know, I've met many Christians, I think, who struggle and wonder, am I going to make it to the end in the race of faith? I don't know. 
And what our coach is trying to tell us is you can make it to the end. If you'll run the way I'm telling you. It says, it doesn't say you might not grow weary and lose heart. It says you won't grow weary and lose heart. In fact, this growing weary and losing heart is used by Aristotle. And it's referring to collapsing. He's using it about athletes collapsing after they've crossed the finish line. Collapsing to the ground. Haven't you all seen that on TV? Where athletes have run a long race and they cross the finish line and they just fall to the ground. They're exhausted. And so what's the author of Hebrews telling us, our running coach? He's saying, you won't collapse early. You're going to cross the finish line if you'll consider Jesus and what he suffered for you. In fact, if you and I will run what? What's the first point? Listening will run light, will run long, and if we'll run looking to Jesus, you and I are going to cross the finish line and be a champion in the race of faith. It's for every one of us. It's not for special people. It's for all of us. You know, what I'd like you to do is I want, to watch, I want you to watch um, a two-minute video clip. Again, it's from my, one of my favorite movies. It's The Chariots of Fire. Story of uh, Eric Little, who is a Christian athlete. It's uh, when he was going to compete in the 1924 Olympic Games. He was the favored athlete to win the gold medal in the 100-meter race. But because of his religious convictions the qualifying heats for that event were on Sunday. And he said, I'm not going to, I can't do, I can't run in that on Sunday. And so he couldn't qualify for the event that he was almost assured to win. And so they gave him the opportunity to run the 400 meter race instead of the 100 because the qualifying heats were on a different day. Now, I don't know about you guys, but could you imagine you're a 100 meter specialist and now you're going to go compete in the 400 meter? This is the Olympics. This is not my friends in my neighborhood that I'm running against. <laughs> this is the Olympics, okay? So I want you to watch this. And what I want to see if you can catch, see if you can find the four things that we talked about that our running coach gave us here in chapter 12 that we need to do if we're going to win the, the race of faith. See if you notice them. Good luck, Taylor. Watch out for a little. Coach says no problem. He's got something to prove, something personal, something guys like Coach will never understand in a million years. USA! 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 Jimmy! USA! 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 Says in the old book. He that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Schultz. the power come from to see the race to its end from within.
Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. that video <laughs> I love that movie <clears throat> you know what did you see the four things he ran listening did you see Jackson Schultz gave him first uh, Samuel 230 it says he who honors me I will honor he ran with it clenched in his fist he ran light you don't see it here but he did take off his warm-up clothes which I think you probably give me grace for he ran long. He didn't stop at 100 meters, did he? He ran all the way to the end. And he ran looking. He went to the finish line. He went to the destination. You know what a lot of people don't realize about that race is when he qualified to run in that race, he ran at best mediocre times and he was considered a long shot of long shots to medal in that race. And not only did he win the gold medal do you know what? He set the world record that day. Because he ran listening, he ran light, he ran long, he ran looking. <clears throat> A French newspaper asked him, how did you do it? He said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. And then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. <laughs> Y'all, God has made you for a purpose. He's made you to run. He's made you to run in a way that you can win. But you have to do it by the, the directions. Run listening, run light, run long from looking to Jesus. And you and I will break the tape. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You that uh, You have a design for our lives. You haven't called us to do something that is uh, something we can't do. We can't do it on our own. Your Spirit enables us, but You've given us clear direction in how to run. There is a price to pay. We have to run Your way, not our way. We have to sacrifice things that would hinder us and hold us back, encumbrances and sin. But Lord, thank you for what Jesus has done for us. What he suffered, endured out of love for us. May we run in such a way that we win. In Jesus' name, amen.